Welcome to the Gospel According to with Ryan and Mike, a conversation designed to explore what makes the gospel good news in various books and topics of the Bible. All right, well, today we are going to slow down and zoom in a little bit. The last few episodes have been more high-level, big-picture, um, thinking through why study Isaiah in the first place, thinking through the problem or the conflict that Isaiah is wading into and addressing. And then the last episode, we talked about the poetic form of Isaiah. Um, today, we want to zoom into Isaiah chapter 6, where we're going to see Isaiah's call to prophesy and um, kind of feel this one on the ground a little bit more. So let's go ahead and pick up in Isaiah 6, and I want to start with just the first five verses. In the year of King Isaiah's death, I saw Adonai sitting on a high lofty throne. The hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim stood over him, each with six wings, two for covering his face, two for covering his feet, and two for flying. They were crying out to each other, more holy than the holiest holiness is Adonai of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The doorpost shook at the sound of their shouting, and the house was filled with smoke. Then I said, woe to me, I am doomed, because I am a man with unclean lips, living among a people with unclean lips, have seen with my own eyes the king, Adonai of hosts. This, there, there's, there's so much in this opening vision, but you notice the setting, the, the sort of time stamp that, that Isaiah gives. He tells us this is in the year of King Isaiah's death. And you think about um, all that's sort of up in the air during a change of regime and one king dies and maybe the uncertainty and uh, drama that would go along with that. And yet King Isaiah dies, and yet we see the true king of heaven and earth in this yeah, opening. And I think, I mean, just, just to give a contemporary event, we're recording this the week after Queen Elizabeth passed away. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, for even us removed on this side of the, of the ocean, um, we still see the, the change and the political turmoil that comes from that. Yeah. And uh, Isaiah, um, you, you, we see in the first part of Isaiah has a tumultuous mm-hmm. section of yes. his of, of his reign, yeah. um, and yet amidst a king that dies, he looks up. Yeah, absolutely. And so you notice he's sitting on a high, lofty throne, and so it's a picture of majesty. It's a picture of strength. It's a picture of security. The hem of his robe filled the temple. Uh, the train of his robe filled the temple. Right. You, again, you think about. The, the the king's robe and how how again it would it would convey his glory his majesty his splendor and Yahweh's is such that it fills the entire temple and then we see these these living creatures these 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 living beings in the throne room of God in His presence that are that are around Him and and they're described as having these six wings um, and that's remarkable in its own right. And, and Isaiah draws attention to us uh, why that is, right? You think about, well, why do you need six wings? Well, two are for flying, right? That's just as you would expect, but two for covering the feet and two for covering the face, right? In the presence of God, they are in, in the presence of the holy God. 
They're covering their face, covering their feet in this gesture of complete awe, uh, humility, uh, reverence, fear um, for his glory and his holiness. Um, and, and then not only their posture, but what they say. Uh, the translation we're reading, the, the complete Jewish Bible, kind of translates the expression for us. The, the, the more literal translation is what probably most of us are familiar with. Holy, holy, holy. This translator explains that a little bit more. More holy than the holiest holiness, right? It, it is God. And, 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 you know, as we think of even about the, the word holy, that's kind of a churchy term, right? That, that, you know, maybe has some baggage or some connotation with it. But it's this idea of separateness, I find maybe the most helpful is otherness, right? There's this, this God himself is in this holy uh, W H O L L Y other category, right? He, consecrated he, is the word I like. What's that? Consecrated. Consecrated. Dedicated. Yeah. 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 Dedicated, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so more holy than the holiest holiness, right? It, it just off the charts. God is beyond uh, the Lord of hosts. And he says, the whole earth is full of his glory. And then from that, the, the, the foundations of the thresholds of the temple are, are, are shaking. There's this trembling. There's this, the, the place is filling with smoke. And so is recalling um, the scenes of maybe like a Mount Sinai kind of scene when God comes down on the mountain or um, the filling of the tabernacle and the filling of the temple with the Shekinah, where again, God is, is manifesting himself in this pre this way. And so we see this just overwhelming, awe-inspiring, uh, fear-gripping um, vision of God himself. And then we see in verse five. Yeah, can I make just one note yeah. about verse four? Go right ahead. Um, those at Mansicle recognize this, hopefully. Um, every time that the Bible has a heavenly vision of the throne of God, uh, I'm thinking Ezekiel 1, Revelation 4 to 5, namely, there's many others, Daniel 7, you always see fire and smoke in that mm. heavenly scene. It's not yeah. until Revelation that that's made clear, that's the Spirit. Mm. Yeah. And I think we need to keep that Trinitarian thought mm. in mind as we approach this, nice. that the Holy Spirit is here filling this just majestic scene of God's throne. Keep going. Awesome. Very good. So, so again, this, this, over, this overall scene that's meant to evoke total awe before the holy, holy, holy one, right? The king, the true king and Lord of heaven and earth. And so we see Isaiah, who's witnessing, experiencing this. He just says, I'm a dead man woe to me or woe is me i'm doomed he recognizes in the presence of holy god his own sinfulness his own impurity and he uses the idea of unclean lips and not only does he recognize his own sinfulness he sees the sinfulness of the people around him yes. right and and um you know and 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 you think about that in light of even what we've already looked at especially when we're walking through chapter 1 and we think about how the people in general were described as like Sodom and Gomorrah, just totally depraved, totally corrupt, full of violence and all kinds of injustice. Um, and yet Isaiah, I'm sure, is not like that. Yet in the presence of holy God, it's not like he's shoulders lengths above them all, right? He, he's a man of unclean lips. He lives among a people of unclean lips. And it's this vision of 
Adonai of hosts, the Lord of hosts, that has filled him with this overwhelming sense of who can stand, who can, who can live in his presence again. Yes. Um, and again, this is a pattern you notice many times in the Bible, Moses, Ezekiel, Daniel, um, only whenever our sight is overwhelmed, are we then able to fully hear the Lord? Yeah, absolutely. Especially with Moses, Moses in Exodus three, Moses in Exodus one and two had done what was right in his own eyes. But then whenever he is, his sight is overwhelmed by the glory of God. That's when he then fully listens to this voice of God and what the word of God is going to tell him. Yeah. Absolutely. So you, you you find this this tension, right? Um, what what hope is there for Isaiah? Um, seeing the holiness of God, seeing his own sinfulness, and yet we turn to verse six and we see one of these seraphim, one of these living creatures in the presence of God, flew to him with this glowing coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth with it and said, here, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is gone. Your sin is atoned for. And, and we talked about the strangeness of Isaiah. And certainly that part of the vision strikes us as strange. Why grab tongs? Why grab this coal from the altar? Why touch his lips with it? Um, but we remember that the altar is the place of sacrifice. Um, and he takes this burning coal, touches his lips, and the result is this cleansing, this purification, this forgiveness of his sin. Um, sin has been covered. Sin has been atoned for. Um, and so then it's from this, this place of having seen the holiness of God, having recognized his own profound sinfulness and the sinfulness of those around him, having experienced forgiveness, you hear this question that the yeah, Lord can I make one more observation about yeah, this too. I think it's important also to note this is in the year that King Isaiah died mm-hmm. it tells us in second Chronicles 26 16 yeah. but when King Isaiah was strong he grew proud to his destruction for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense yeah. but Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor and they withstood King Isaiah and said to him it is not for you Isaiah to burn incense to the Lord but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense, go out of the sanctuary for you have done wrong. It will bring you no honor from the Lord God. So whenever you contrast, obviously, this, the sinfulness of Isaiah, who tries to usurp the priestly yeah. role, this is now God's presence coming in and fulfilling the priestly work that is going to consecrate Isaiah for his prophecy. Absolutely. Yeah. Isaiah's prophetic work is going to be consecrated by God himself. Yeah. And just an amazing contrast with Isaiah. Totally. Yeah. Very good. Very good. So you've got, again, this experience of God's holiness, experience of, of forgiveness in his presence. Uh, and then the questions asked it in verse eight, then I heard the voice of Adonai saying, whom should I send? Who will go for us? Um, just this, this, basic mission address. God's got a mission and he's, he's looking for volunteers and, and Isaiah answers, I'm here, send me, or, or we're probably used to translation here. Am I send me. Um, and, and, and what strikes me about this is, um, Isaiah is so quick to sign up, right? Here am I send me. 
and he doesn't know the job description, right? He doesn't know the mission. All he knows is God is holy. He was a dead man. God forgave him. And now the same holy, merciful God has a mission for him and he'll sign up for it before he even knows the, the marching orders. Um, anything you want to add, add there, Ryan? No, no. So keep going. Okay. So then verse nine, he, he gets those marching orders and he gets the, the, the mission that he's going to be sent on. That's going to characterize his entire prophetic mission, which will then again, characterize really what's going to go on in the rest of the book. Um, let's go ahead and read nine through the end. He said, this is Yahweh said, go and tell this people. Yes, you hear, but you don't understand. You certainly see, but you don't get the point. Make the heart of this people fat. Stop up their ears and shut their eyes. Otherwise, seeing with their eyes and hearing with their ears, then understanding with their hearts, they might repent and be healed. I asked, Adonai, how long? And he answered, I'm going to stop there, actually. I said I'd read through the end, but I want to stop there. Um, So so notice notice the marching orders, right? essentially go out and preach to people who won't hear and understand what you're saying, man, that's like, you know, I I think about, you know, you and I both preach, we both teach. um, And it's discouraging at times. If it seem, if you've ever been in a situation where it seems like, man, people just aren't hearing this or, um, you know, if you've ever had those, those experiences of, of discouragement and to think about, you know, for me, I've been, been really fortunate to be with, with really good churches and people who love the Lord and love the scriptures and, um, in general, just soak it up and it, and it's, and it's overall encouraging. And, and so when I talk about discouragement, it's just these blips on the radar. Um, and even that's draining, right? Um, yeah. You think about blips and for it, us was mountains for Isaiah. Yeah. What's what's that? Yeah, what's blips for you and me is was mountains for yeah. Isaiah. Yeah. I mean, Im- imagine your entire ministry being characterized by just obstinance, hard-heartedness, a refusal to to hear, to see, to understand, to have that soft heart that would lead them to repent and find healing. Um, and so there's a bleakness to it. Um, and and yet, he asks, how long? Yeah. And I needed about verse 10, repentance and healing. Yeah. Remember, Isaiah started the book with describing the whole head as sick. Yes. And there is going to be a healing that is going to come in the prophecy of Isaiah. Yeah. Now, those at Mansluk should know where that is. Yeah. But um, this is going to be one of the central promises of Isaiah is one who will come to heal. So keep going. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and it's, it's, uh, while we're talking about that, it's helpful to understand, you know, the, the multi-dimensioned picture that the scriptures use to describe sin. Right. Um, and, and while we're, okay. while, while we're talking about that, so, so we, we recognize sin as something we do. That's the, the, what we, you know, what's often talked about sin is a power that rules over us. That's, that's got a place here in Isaiah as well, but sin is sickness. That is yeah. that permeates the being that, that we need healing from. And so Isaiah especially helps us with that, with that aspect of characteristic of sin, the sin problem. Um, 
so, so again, he paints this picture of hard heartedness and refusal to see and hear uh, and, and therefore repent and receive healing. And, and this picture is going to be something that's taken up by Jesus to characterize his own mission and see, okay, what's happening in Isaiah's day is being played out again in his own day. Right? So it's got resonance for, for us in, in maybe even more familiar passages. Um, but anyway, back to Isaiah. So, so his mission is basically go to people who aren't going to hear you and aren't going to respond well to what you have to say. And so he says, I asked Adonai, how long? And he answered, until cities become uninhabited ruins, houses without human presence, the land utterly wasted, until Adonai drives the people far away and the land is one vast desolation. If even a tenth remain, it will again be devoured. But like a pistachio tree or an oak whose trunk remains alive after its leaves fall off, the holy seed will be its trunk. Mm, I love that. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. So you've got this answer of basically until there's nothing. Yeah. Right? The total, you know, there, there's a bleakness to it. But we, we, we've said before how this characteristic of Isaiah that he never in like, you know, bad news is never the final word. Devastation. Yep you know, retribution, any of those terms we might associate with that is never the final word. And it sounds like it's going to be here, but you get this last little line at the end of chapter six, the holy seed will be its trunk. And there's this, this hope, even, even he's just described this tree cut down this, you know, land, the city becoming destroyed. There's this idea of, okay, this seed that's going to grow. Right. Um, and so, so again, Isaiah won't get to see it in the, the way of experiencing it in, in, a, uh, in the flesh, I, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, he sees it only by vision, right? He casts these visions of that restoration, um, but all he'll get is maybe just the seed. Um, whereas otherwise he's going to, his, his own mission is characterized by just deaf ears, blind eyes, hard hearts, um, until it's dealt with in, in judgment. Totally. Yeah, totally. And this, this is where this image is obviously picked up in the new Testament of mm -hmm. a seed falling into the ground, yeah. um, the root of Jesse, et cetera. I mean, mm -hmm. again, poetry consists of images. It consists of rhythm yeah. and you, you see both of these here. Yeah. The, the images of Isaiah 6 are some of the most dominant of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And this rhythm of judgment that's coming, and yet over on the other side and through it is a hope that is taking us through. Yeah. Isaiah is just bringing both of those so powerfully together. Yeah, absolutely. So this, this chapter is Isaiah's call to prophesy. He sees the Lord. He experiences the Lord's holiness in the most earth-shattering way. It leaves him um, just blown away by his own sinfulness and the sinfulness of, of his society that he lives in. And yet experience, he experiences God's mercy and forgiveness. And that opens up the door for, for God to call Isaiah to fulfill his mission, which That's is that. a bleak mission. Um, but it's one with this seed of hope. Well said. Well said. Anything before I offer a few closing thoughts, Mike? No. Yeah. 
Yeah, and just to give everyone a forecast of where we plan to go in this season, um, these first four episodes were really our introduction to why and how to read the book of Isaiah. What we are going to do over the next season is talk through Isaiah 40 through 55. Um, Isaiah 40 through 55 forms a major section of the book, and we're going to see this prophetic call of Isaiah pick up in Isaiah 40, and that's where we'll begin next time is the beginning of Isaiah 40. So looking forward to picking up there. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the Gospel According to Podcast. If you have any questions about what you heard today, please send us a voice message. We would really love to hear from you. Make sure you follow us on social media, subscribe, and click the bell to get notified when we drop a new episode. Until next time, and for all time, your God reigns. Mm-hmm.